Well, this morning, I want to invite you, if you've got a Bible, I'm going to borrow this thing for a minute, brother Wade, to take it and turn with me to the Gospel of Matthew, the Gospel of Matthew, chapter 13. And if you are familiar and you've read much of the Gospel of Matthew, you realize that Matthew's primary, his intended audience, was to the Jew. And his biggest theme throughout the book is of the kingdom of God. As we look here this morning, Jesus is speaking to a multitude of people, and he comes and he gives a series of parables all about the kingdom of God and what it is like. And I don't know about y'all, but I thank God that this is not where we're going to spend eternity, that there is a kingdom, there is a place called heaven, a place where God lives, his place, the kingdom of God that we're going to. And there's a passage in here, there's a parable that really got a hold of me this week, and I got to studying it. And it's something you've probably all heard of, but you probably haven't not really ever looked really into. But it's the parable of the wheat and the tares. How many of you have heard of that? Well, we're going to look at that this morning together, and we're going to read it, and then we're going to pray, and then we're going to dig into the book of Matthew and check out something. I want to talk to us about the danger of the influence of the tares. Because you may not realize this, but wherever you go where God's people are, the tares are there with us, according to Jesus. And the tares are among the wheat, and they will be until Jesus returns. And I don't know about y'all, but as I look around today, I see that it seems like the tares are having an effect on our country, on our society. And as you look with me here, starting in chapter 13, the passage we're going to look at is comes starting in verse 24. Another parable Jesus put forth to them, saying the kingdom of heaven is like, and boy, you'll see that throughout the gospel of Matthew, Jesus talking about the kingdom of heaven and what it's like. And as you look here with me, I got to get my help this morning. He says, the kingdom of God is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while the man slept, his enemy came and sowed tares, that's weeds, among the wheat and went on his own way. But when the grain had sprouted and had produced a crop, then the tares also appeared amongst the wheat. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, Sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then? Does it have tares? How is there weeds all in it? Is what they're saying. And he said to them, an enemy has done this. The servant said to him, do you want us then to go and gather them up? But he said, no, lest while you are gathering up the tares, the weeds, you will also uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, first gather together the tares, and bind them in bundles to burn them, but gather the wheat into my barn. Then it says just what you're going to see as we look a little bit into Matthew. Another parable he put forth to them, saying, The kingdom of heaven is like a mustard seed, which a man took and sowed in his field, which indeed is the least of all the seeds, but when it is grown, it is greater than the herbs and becomes a tree, so that the birds of the air come and nest in its branches. Another parable he spoke to them, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven, which a woman took and put three measures of meal till it was all leavened. And all these things Jesus spoke to the multitude in parables, and without a parable he did not speak to them. 
that it might be fulfilled which was spoken by the prophet, saying, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter things kept secret from the foundation of the world. And then Jesus sent the multitude away. And he went into the house, and his disciples came to him, saying, Explain to us the parable of the tares of the field. And Jesus answered to them, and he said, He who sows the good seed is the Son of Man, Jesus himself. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons of the kingdom, the saved, the children of God. But the tares are the sons of the wicked one, the lost, the sons of the devil. The enemy, he says in verse 39, the enemy who sowed them is the devil. And the harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. And I want you to take notice. Therefore, as the tares are gathered and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of this age. The Son of Man will send out his angels, and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and those who practice lawlessness, and will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And he says, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, today I pray that you might give us ears to hear, that you might pray our hearts to receive, and that we might respond appropriately to the truth we're fixing to look at. So, Lord, today we want to thank you for the word of God, for the message of the kingdom that brings to our attention that there is a kingdom, that there is a kingdom worth seeking with all that we have, the kingdom of God. Lord, today would you praise, please speak and move in our midst. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You know, I don't know about you, but I look around society today and society is not changing for the good. The culture is not getting better, it's getting worse. And while wickedness and unrighteousness has increased, godliness and righteousness seems to have decreased. Would you agree? And even in the church, the light of righteousness seems to be growing dim. Sometimes, as a preacher, I fear that as the salt of the earth, we, the church, are losing our flavor. And you all know Jesus said we are the light of the world. We are the salt of the earth, which means we're to be influencing wherever he puts us. And it says, when I tell you this, when I say our light is growing dim or we're losing our flavor, what I'm really saying is that we're losing our influence. It seems to me almost, if you're not careful, in some places that are supposed to be God's home turf, place where God's people should be ruling, that the church is influencing the church. Instead of the church influencing the world, the world is influencing the church. Anybody with, who's been here a little while who will be judgment day honest and has any degree of discernment and spirituality can't help but to admit that when you compare the church of yesterday to the church of today, it does not seem to be changing for the better. Now, I'm not here to say there's not a lot of good things going on in the church, and there will be good things happening because the church is God's church, and Jesus said, I'm going to build my church, and the gates of hell is not going to prevail against it. But I am going to be honest enough to say that the church is falling way short of her potential and the impact and the influence that she should be having. 
here where God has planted us to make a difference for his kingdom. And I ask myself as a preacher, why is this happening? What's causing it to happen? And I stumbled into this passage this week, and I think God spoke to me, and I think I got a word that's in season for the hour in which we're in. Because, friends, I want to tell you today that I love the church. I love to think of the opportunities that God has given us and the blessings that we have that comes from the church. But at the same time, sometimes I fear for the church. I look at us and I see what the scriptures say we should be like and then I look at what we are like and I wonder why and I think there's some answers that we can find here today. You see, when we look into the word of God, especially in the four gospels, the primary focus is not the church. The primary focus is the kingdom of God. But if you're not careful today, we're still focused on the church and the problems of the church and trying to fix the church and trying to grow the church that I think sometimes we forgot that the church is not the kingdom. The church is a part of the kingdom. I want you to think about this. The main theme of New Testament preaching, especially Jesus' is in the four Gospels, is the kingdom of God. Jesus only mentioned the church three times in his earthly ministry. All three are mentioned in the Gospel of Matthew. But in contrast, he mentions the kingdom 54 times in, gospels, in Matthew's Gospel alone. And far too often in the church today, we hear lots of preaching about church with little mention of the kingdom. And friends, also we emphasize growing the church, building the church, while forgetting to promote and advance the agenda of the kingdom. Friends, listen, we must focus on the kingdom and the church because they are interconnected, but we can't have church without the kingdom. And if we're honest, the church is talked about way too much compared to what we focus on, the kingdom. We can't have church without the kingdom because the, the, the kingdom accomplishes its agenda, its purpose through the church. The church is just a division. It's a part of the kingdom. It's almost like we're the, the embassy of heaven. We're here to represent the kingdom for the king. But guys, when you focus all the time on the church and everything is about the church, and getting the church to do what the church should be, it's real easy for us to forget that the focus should be on the kingdom and the king. And friends, today I want to talk to us a little bit because what happens if you're not careful is what I see happening in church today. We focus on the church, and when we focus more on the church and only on the church, the focus begins to be about church growth and which means church attendance. And if church has a lot of people coming, church is good. And that's enough. And then to get the people to come, we begin to pretend and we begin to promote church programs, which really is just means to please members, to attract them. And that becomes our emphasis. That becomes why we're here. That becomes everything we try to accomplish. We got to get a crowd. And then we got to please the crowd. So we got to build programs that make them happy and make them want to come. And then the next thing you get to focus on, instead of the grace of God and its sufficient supply, 
But you got to have money. And so in America, if you can get a big enough crowd and get enough programs to keep them happy and collect enough money to keep church operating, you're a successful church. And you can do every bit of that and never, ever even mention the kingdom of God. When we die, we're not going to the church. If you're saved, you're going to the kingdom. And nothing is more important than the kingdom. Jesus said, seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all the other things will be given to you. But friends, I fear today because the church has been come to our place to where we are all about us. And so when we look at this, this fits in real good with what I want us to look at. This is a warning from Jesus. It's, he says, the church of God, the church, the kingdom, he said the kingdom is like a man who sowed wheat. And while he slept, an enemy showed up and sowed weeds. He called them tares. Most people believe it would have been a plant that was called darnel. It was a type of ryegrass that when it first sprouted and while it grew, looked very much like wheat. In fact, it looked so much like wheat as it grew up and in its immature state until it got to the mature state to where it begins to make a head and wheat begins to produce fruit, you couldn't tell them apart. And Jesus said that the man said, don't pull up the tares, don't pull the wheat up, leave it in the midst of God's people, amongst the church. For if you go around trying to pull up all the weeds, while you uproot it, you'll uproot the wheat. So leave it alone. Let it grow together. And at the end of the age, which is what we're in, the age of the church age, the age of grace, that started when Jesus came, that will end when Jesus returns. He says, when I come back, the harvesters, which are the angels, they will harvest. And they will come and gather the tares, the weeds, and they'll remove it put it in bundles and burn it just like you would do a bundle of weeds. He says, and then I will separate the sons of God. He says, if you look in there, that the, the man who's planting the seed is the son of man, Jesus. And Jesus is going around all the world planting true Christians everywhere so that he can make an impact for the kingdom and the kingdom can grow and manifest and advance its agenda and make a manifest visible presence on the earth and he says that the sons of the devil the tares the weeds is planted by the devil we don't like to think that anywhere there is a presence of god's sons and daughters there's a presence of according to jesus the tares the wheat and as you begin to look at this and you begin to study i want you to flip back and see what jesus taught Friends, the emphasis in Jesus was not the church. It was the kingdom. Friends, you can come to church and you can fit in and you can look like everybody else and you can feel spiritual and you can get blessings. But friends, that don't mean you're getting in the kingdom. And a lot of people who are kingdom bound, all people that are kingdom bound are in the church, but not everybody in the church is kingdom bound. Does that make sense to you? And it's a scary thought. So how do you get these tares amongst the wheat? Well, there are people that have been deceived who think they have something that they don't. 
they look like a Christian. And guys, listen. The more that the church becomes worldly and the more tares amongst them and the more we let the tares influence us instead of us influence them, the easier it is for the tares to blend in. If there's ever been a time when the church is not as spiritual as it should be, when the church is in danger of being immature and not committed to the king and his kingdom and it's all about us and what we want, it's the one we live in today. And the more church is about you and the less church is about him, the easier it is for you to be get tricked into tear theology and tear religion. And friends, the days that we look, I want you to think about this. When Jesus showed up on the scene, if you go back with me to chapter 3, chapter 3 in the Gospel of Matthew, I want you to see what he preached. The Bible says in chapter 3, verse 1, in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness in Judea, saying, repent for the kingdom of hand is at the kingdom of God is at hand. It's near, it's here. That's what he's saying. And what did he say? He said, repent for the kingdom of God is here. And John the Baptist was the one who prepared the way for the coming of the kingdom. And the reason he was saying that the kingdom of God is near, that it's his hand, is the king was here. Amen. And he was preparing the way. The king shows up, Jesus himself. Look at what Jesus preached. When you look at with me in chapter 4, it says in verse 17, from that time Jesus began to preach to say, repent for the kingdom of hand, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus preached, repent for the kingdom of God is near. That's what he preached. Guys, I don't know if you realize this, but the message of the kingdom is not just believe in God, not just believe in the gospel. It's repent and believe in the good news of the kingdom. As a matter of fact, if you look at Mark's version, listen what Mark says about this very same thing that I'm talking about. In the gospel of Mark, oops, I got a lot of papers here. I'll get that one in a minute. I don't need it right now. But in the gospel of Mark, chapter 1, verse 14, the Bible says, now after John, John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom. Everywhere Jesus went, he was preaching the gospel of the kingdom. And listen what the next verse says. And he was saying, the time is fulfilled and the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the gospel. Today, most churches preach, believe in Jesus. Believe the good news. But how often do we hear repent and believe the good news? The good news of the kingdom is not something you just add on to a busy, worldly, sinful life and go on about business as you're used to. The good news of the kingdom is that there's a new life. There's a new place you can live. And friends, the prerequisite to preparation for the coming of King Jesus was a message that John the Baptist preached saying, repent. He says, bear fruits worthy of repentance. And guys, tares don't worry about repentance. A tear is someone who's just coming to the church. He's a good person many times. He's religious all the time. He puts Jesus on his life, but he doesn't let Jesus have lordship in his life. And a tear looks like a Christian, just like 
A tear looked like wheat. And a tear is someone who sits and believes, I think, that he is a Christian. And guys, today as we look at this, if you look, Jesus was totally focused. Everything was about the kingdom. As a matter of fact, when he got ready to preach the Sermon on the Mount, that's the first thing that's recorded that he preached. As soon as he began preaching the good news of the kingdom, he preached the greatest truths of the kingdom in the Sermon on the Mount. Everyone agrees. The Beatitudes, the first thing he says is blessed or the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Blessed are those who will be persecuted for my name's sake, for theirs is the kingdom of God. The next chapter, chapter 6, when he teaches us how to pray as children and servants of the kingdom, he says, pray in this manner, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And yes, he told us to pray for our daily bread. He said, forgive us our trespasses. We forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever and ever. It's all about the kingdom. It ain't about church. Church is a place where the kingdom is promoted where the kingdom message is preached, but the church is just a representation of the kingdom. It's not the fullness and the completeness of the kingdom. When Jesus was here, the Pharisees came to him, and this comes out of Luke chapter 17, and they questioned Jesus. The Pharisees says, now having been questioned by the Pharisees, as when the kingdom of God was coming, Jesus answered and said to them, the kingdom of God is not coming with signs to be observed. He said it's not coming in the King James by observation. He says, nor will anyone say, there it is, look here, or there it is, behold, the kingdom of God. But Jesus said the kingdom of God is in your midst. That's what he told the Pharisees. The King James says the kingdom of God is within you, and some people misinterpret that and believe that he was telling the Pharisees that the kingdom of God is within you. But the kingdom of God was not in the heart of the Pharisees. The Pharisees were so far from the kingdom that when the king of the kingdom stood before him, they didn't even know who he was. Jesus was saying, if rightly interpreted in all the other newer translations, that Jesus said the kingdom is in your midst. What's he saying? The kingdom is in your midst. The kingdom is among you. The kingdom is within the presence of who y'all are. It's here right now. And friends, the kingdom was inaugurated. It was started long ago, but it was made present here on earth when Jesus came through his becoming flesh, through the life in his ministry, through his death, burial, and resurrection. Jesus inaugurated and Jesus started the age of the kingdom that we're in right now. And this age is going on, the church age, the age of grace. In this dispensation right now, there's three types of people that God is dealing with for his kingdom. There is the Israel, the kingdom of Israel. That is, we're going to look at this in the next coming week. That's the hidden treasure, God's special treasure, Israel. When Jesus came and then when the church came on the scene at Pentecost, and which was a mystery, and the, the hidden pearl of great price, the pearl of great price, which is in these, these here parables we're looking at, is the church. 
And the church is the pearl of great price. So you've got the pearl of great price, the church, and then you've got Israel, God's hidden treasure. It's like right now you don't see much of Israel, but friends, God has still got a spiritual Israel that he's coming back to, that he's going to save and he's going to bring into fellowship with him again and they will recognize jesus as the messiah at the second coming and jesus is coming back and that's the parable of the dragnet the gentile nations and god is in the process of dragging up everybody he can out of the gentile nations to save them the kingdom is growing and it has grown so much you know it's amazing but the kingdom of god here on earth that you can't see unless you're born again Jesus said, you can't see the kingdom except you be born again. And then he said also, you can't enter this kingdom unless you're born again. That's what he told to a, a Pharisee named Nicodemus. But guys, if you look, what he's talking about here in our text, in between the, ex, explaining the parable of the tares and the wheat, he gives you two other parables. It says the kingdom of God is like a mustard seed which is the smallest of all seeds. That's what the kingdom of God is like. And he said that little seed of a mustard seed, you can plant it and it grows and it gets bigger than all the other herbs and it grows into a tree to the point that the birds of the air can not only land in it, they can nest in it, they can live in it. The kingdom is just like that. The kingdom started like a little mustard seed in a little place in the middle of nowhere. You'd never heard of Galilee if it hadn't been for Jesus. You'd never heard of Israel if it hadn't been for Jesus. And Jesus came planning and building and promoting his kingdom. And friends, it grew from Jesus and 12 apostles, from 12 apostles to when he died for us and, and made it possible to enter the kingdom to 120 in an upper room. And those 120 listened to Jesus, the king, and they prayed and they waited from power on high for what? So that they could be a witness to the kingdom of God. And they went and witnessed. And friends, it is metamorphosed. It is grown. The kingdom is worldwide. Can I get an amen? There ain't many places you can go anymore and not hear about Jesus. It's the same way with the leaven. He said the, the kingdom is likened to a woman who took leaven and put in to meal and all the meal became leaven. God's plan, his purpose, is for the kingdom to spread throughout the world. As you read through the gospel of Matthew, you'll see the kingdom mentioned over and over and over. We're going to be in our text here, but do you ever see what Jesus said is going to happen at the end of the age? You see, we're working toward the end of the age. The end of the age is coming. The end of the age is when Jesus returns for his second coming. And the end of the age, my friend, I believe is nearer than most of us tend to want to think when I look at what we can see. But this is something that struck me. I've heard this so many times. When you get to the 24th chapter in Matthew's gospel, Jesus is describing what it will be like in the last days. And now he's asked in verse 3 of chapter 24, now as Jesus sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, and they said, tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and the end of the age? When is the end of the age going to be here? And Jesus said, for many take heed that no one be deceived. That's the first thing he told them. 
The closer we get to the end of the age, the more that you're going to see people being deceived. And what is a tear? A tear is someone who's been deceived to think he's something that he's not, that he has something that he doesn't. And then Jesus warned and he says, for many will come in my name saying, I am the Christ, I'm the Messiah, and they will deceive many. And then he describes all these things that we talk at and we look at. Most people believe this is a description of the seven-year tribulation. He's speaking primarily to Jews here. He says in verse 11, then many false prophets will rise up and deceive many. And because lawlessness will abound and the love of many will grow cold. Guys, that's happening. Look at the news. Look at what society is becoming. It's not getting better. It's getting worse. And people are desperate to hear good news. But good news has to be truthful news. It has to be all the news. And friends, listen to what he goes on and says. He says in verse 13, but he who endures to the end shall be saved. And look, this is Jesus. He's going all over planting his kingdom on the earth. And this gospel, verse 14, chapter 24, and this gospel of the kingdom will be preached in all the world and as a witness to all the nations and then the end will come. Friends, I want you to know what God's doing. He's putting a plan, he's planting the kingdom everywhere on earth. How many nations can there be left that hasn't heard the gospel? There are some, but there ain't many. But God's plan is for the kingdom to grow, for the kingdom to spread, for the kingdom to, like that mustard seed, to cover the whole earth. And it starts from just that little beginning to become worldwide. And friends, listen, what is the message of the kingdom? The message of the kingdom is not just believe in Jesus and go about business as usual. The message of the kingdom is not just to add Jesus to your normal American lifestyle. The message of the kingdom is repent. <laughs> repent and believe the good news. What's a tear look like? A tear is somebody that puts Jesus on their life. They put religion on their life. But repentance is not part of their life. I know I believe that song, and I know this man probably knows it, just as I am. And I thank God in Jesus' name, you can come today just as you are. And Jesus will receive you, but he will not leave you the way you come. You can't just accept Jesus and keep all your sin. You can't just expect to be a kingdom member and stay a worldly member. There's repentance. And friends, listen, we tend to forget that repentance was preached with the good news of believing in Jesus. Today, churches are filled with people and repentance is not even on their mind. It's not even a part of what they want to have to do with Jesus. They just want Jesus to come and fix their mess and they want to live just like they've been living and keep doing what they've been doing and have Jesus add to their life. Jesus loves sinners. Jesus will save sinners. But Jesus tells sinners to come to me, repentance is required. That's what John the Baptist preached. That's what Jesus preached. Listen what the apostles preached. This comes right from the word of God, my friend. But we don't hear that in the church today. The Bible says in Acts chapter 2 verse 38, at the day of Pentecost, when 3,000 souls was added, to the 120. Boy, the kingdom was expanding through the church. 
And God was planting sons of the kingdom and daughters of the kingdom. It says, Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of his sins. And you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. In the next chapter, in chapter 3, verse 19, repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord. If you want to experience times of refreshing from the presence of the Lord and be converted, repentance is a not, it has to be part of the message. Because if you don't repent, there is no conversion. There is no getting in the presence of the Lord. There is no refreshing. Friends, repentance was preached by Paul, the apostle of grace, when he was in Athens, and he preached from Mars Hill, and he was preaching to heathens, not Jews who had the law. Paul says in chapter 17 of Acts, verse 30, truly these times of ignorance God has overlooked, but now he commands all men everywhere to repent. That was part of his good news gospel message. When he stood before King Agrippa, and he stood and gave his testimony, he said, King Agrippa, Verse 20 of chapter 26, but I declared first to those in Damascus and then in Jerusalem and throughout all the region of Judea and then to the Gentiles from nation to nation that they should repent, turn to God and do works befitting of repentance. A church member who can sit and has no repentance and how he has Jesus is not a kingdom person. When Jesus shows up, he comes to forgive you, but thank God he also comes to deliver you, to set you free. And friends, listen, today we sit in churches and the Bible tells us that in the last days, Paul said this, perilous times will come. You can turn with me if you want to, to the book of 2 Corinthians, Corinthians. And this is where he quoted from when at the end of Paul's life, Paul's writing the last two chapters of his life, and he tells us in chapter 3, but know this, Timothy, that in the last days, the last days before the end of the age, when the end of the age comes, perilous times will come. And he describes what men will look like. And the biggest thing, the first thing he says is, Men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers of God, disobedient to parents, unthankful and unholy. They'll be unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without any self-control. They'll be brutal despisers of good, traitors. You won't be able to trust them. They'll be headstrong. That's hard-headed. My daddy used to tell me that hard head's going to make you a soft tail. And it will, amen? I am thank God he'll break you. Can I get an amen? If you ain't been broke, you probably ain't been fixed. And friends, listen. He goes on and describes what men are going to look like in these last days, these perilous times that are coming. He said they're going to be lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. You know why a man won't repent? Because he's a lover of his pleasure more than he is a lover of his God. And Paul said this. He said to this church in chapter 7, he said, 
my letters, I hate, I wasn't happy that they made you sorry, but I am thankful that your sorrow led you to repentance. He said, because what I had to tell you was hard, it was difficult. And, and, but listen what Paul says. Don't miss this. But now I rejoice, not that you were made sorry, but that your sorrow led to repentance. For you were made sorry in a godly manner that you might suffer loss from us nothing. For godly sorrow produces repentance. But worldly sorrow produces death. Friends, you know what happens to a tear? He feels bad about sin. He feels bad about the circumstances and the consequences of his sin. He feels bad because what sin has done, it's made things, because sin never blesses you more than it hurts you. Sin always brings more bad than good. Have you figured that out yet? And I'm not saying there is some good or we wouldn't do it, but the good never outweighs the bad. But when the consequences show up, the worldly sorrow is, I wish this wouldn't happen to me. I wish I wouldn't have got caught. I wish all these problems would go away. Godly sorrow is different. Godly sorrow says, Lord, I've sinned against you. Lord, I, I, I need to change. And Lord, I don't want to sin. I want you. Godly repentance leads to life. And the Bible says that the goodness of God is what leads us to repentance. Believe me, God wants us to repent as much as he wants us to believe in Jesus today. But friends, if you only believe in Jesus and you never repent, you're only believing half the gospel message. I'm telling you, they come together. It's like a coin. Repentance is on one side. Believe in Jesus is on the other. Repentance and faith, one out the other is not going to save you. So when you come to the point, that's why it's so hard to get saved. When you really are coming to Jesus, you understand that life's going to be different after he comes into your life. Because you're going to now be being prepared for the kingdom and you're going to be prepared to leave the world. The cross before me, the world behind me. Though none go with me, I still will follow Jesus. That's repentance. And friends, listen to this. It's quiet in here this morning because the reality of our hour is that I believe there's a lot of tares amongst the wheat. There's a lot of people in the church today, and that's why the church is more like the world than the world is being influenced by the church. And friends, listen, thank God that the tares are here because they can get saved this morning, amen? And get delivered. Listen to what Paul says, describes a person like I'm talking about. He looks like a Christian, he's a tear. He looks like wheat, but he ain't wheat. The biggest difference is he doesn't have the power to bear fruit, to produce what he was created to produce, which is glory to God, righteousness, godliness. Listen to what he says in this passage here. He says, they have a form of godliness, but they deny his power. If we're honest today, the church is filled with people who have Jesus on their life, but they don't even have the power to change. They still are in their sin, and I'm not here saying that we don't all sin, and we don't have times of we need Jesus' forgiveness, but you can't just live in sin without any conviction for it. You can't live in sin and think you're righteous without any repentance because repentance is what makes us become the righteousness of what God wants. Yes, the imputed of Christ, 
righteousness of Christ is a gift. But the imputed righteousness of Christ is going to produce practical righteousness in the sinner. And friends, listen today. Paul says right here, having a form of godliness, but they deny its power from such people turn away. He says they're always learning and they're never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Friends, Jesus doesn't just want you to receive information this morning. He wants the information you receive to produce transformation in your life. And I don't know what you believe about that verse, but it says always learning but never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Jesus said if you come to the knowledge of the truth, you will know the truth and the truth shall set you free. Hallelujah, can I get an amen? Where are the free children of God? The delivered. Friends, we look like everybody else. And that's good enough in far too many situations. I fear for me, Lord. I don't want to be one of those people who lived in the church, amongst the church, amongst the sons of God, but one day heard, depart from me for I never knew you. Because he said there's going to be a lot of people who are going to say, Lord, Lord, who is not going to enter my kingdom. He says, for they're going to say, did we not prophesy? Did we not preach in your name? That's me. Did we not do wonders in your name and miracles and acts of benevolence in your name? But he's going to say, depart from me, for I never knew you, you worker of lawlessness. You can't just let sin run rampant and never deal with sin and think you can just sin and live like everybody else and there's no conviction and there's no kinds of God working to change your life and say, well, but I believe in Jesus. That's what terror religion is. That's the danger of its influence. And there's a lot of people, that's how they live. I don't know about you, but I've asked God before, God, how come you don't let me get away with what some of them are getting away with? But God showed me a long time ago, they're not getting away with it. At the end of the age, there's a judgment coming. I'm going to gather up the wheat, and I'm going to gather up the tares. I'm going to burn the wheat. I'm going to burn the sons of the devil, but the sons of the God are going to come forth like the sun and all of its righteousness. Guys, listen. This is, I hope you will find out. The influence of the tear is to counterfeit what Jesus wants to do in a person's life. What is a counterfeit? A counterfeit is to imitate something valuable or important with the intention to deceive or defraud. That's what a counterfeit is. A counterfeit is to imitate something that is valuable. There's nothing more valuable than being a son of the kingdom. There's nothing more valuable than having your name on the roll we sang about. But friends, you've got to be a child of the king. Listen to this. We're focused on church and church growth and attendance and we're focusing on church programs and getting enough people here attract enough to where we can pay for everything and do church the way we want to do? Are we really doing church for what God wants us to do it for? Are we winning people? Are we baptizing people? Are we discipling people? Are people's lives being changed and are they being transformed by the grace of God? Because ultimately that's the proof. You see, at the end, what made wheat wheat was it produced wheat. And what makes a child a child of God is he produces godliness. His God is righteous, so he produces righteousness. His God is holy, so he belongs holy. 
Not that we'll ever completely get to where we ought to be and could be, but we are in the process of getting there. Can I get an amen? Where he found you, you're no longer there because you're repenting. But let me tell you the danger of tear religion. Satan's spiritual counterfeit, what a tear accepts is this. He's good with Sunday religion, but he doesn't have a daily relationship with God. But that's okay. He's at church every time the door opens. He's religious, but he doesn't have a relationship with God. He confesses faith in God, but he has no conviction of sin from God. And he professes, I'm a Christian, Jesus is my Savior, but he's never convicted for sin. Friends, I don't know about you, what does he save you from if he doesn't convict you from what he saves you from? He saves us from sin. How can we be in sin and never feel bad about it? People say, you preach like that, it makes people guilty. Guilty is bad. I don't know about you. I'm glad I still feel guilty sometimes. I'm glad that the Spirit of God convicts me. But friends, listen, what happens to a tear, he accepts just having church. I go to church, I don't read my Bible, I don't pray, but I'm going to go to church on Sunday, and I hope that preacher will sell me something, make me feel good. I hope he'll scratch my ear. I hope he'll teach something that will make me feel like I'm spiritual. If the preacher's got to make you feel spiritual, you in bad trouble. Can I get an amen? <laughs> but guys, listen, not only will they settle a tear for Sunday-only religion and never have a relationship with God that's day-to-day -day consciousness of God, they'll confess faith, they'll profess Jesus as their Savior, but never get convicted of sin. And then also, they'll be settled for a righteousness that is void of repentance. And friends, how can you become righteous if you don't repent? He found you a sinner worthy of hell. He saved you, he forgives you, but he don't want you to stay like that. He wants to change you from a sinner to a saint. Can I get an amen? They don't like this kind of preaching today. It ain't going to fill a church probably, but I believe it can fill the kingdom, amen? <laughs> and we need to be focused about getting people in the kingdom and not in the church and in the pew. But we're so worried that's this kind of stuff here. Because listen, what a tear basically is concerned about is church attendance. He has Sunday religion. He has faith without conviction of sin. He has righteousness but no godly repentance. And he has church attendance, but he has never pledged allegiance to the lordship of Christ. He's not going to give Jesus lordship over his life. He's going to do what he wants to do. He's going to live like hell on earth. He's going to just live for the devil, but then he's going to come to church, put Jesus on his mind. He's going to blend in and look like us. But friends, I'm going to tell you, can you be saved and Jesus not be Lord? <laughs> That's a question to worry about, amen? Because I don't know about you, he's pretty determined to be Lord of my life ever since he became Savior of my life. And I'm not always good at making him Lord, but he's sure good at making me realize it's important to him, amen? He gets your attention. What's he do? He convicts you. He gives you a desire in your heart to repent. Because if you don't repent, if you don't deal with the conviction of sin, you can never have a relationship that is genuine, that has communion with him, where his presence is with you. All you can have is Sunday-only religion. And that's what a tear settles for. And the church house is filled with them. They have a spirituality that has nothing to do with the Savior. And go what they do, they have spiritual activity. They at church, they doing church things, but their spiritual activity never produces any spiritual accomplishments. There's no changed life. 
there's no new creature in Christ. Old things aren't passing away. Behold, all things aren't coming new. Because, guys, listen, a godly profession without godly power is a false profession. The power of God. I don't know about y'all, but is this worth paying attention to? I'd say it is because according to Jesus, everywhere the sons of the kingdom are going to be planted, at the same time the sons of the devil are going to be planted. And this is the amazing thing. God's salvation is so awesome, I promise I'm almost through. Hang in here because this is the part where we get to say hallelujah and we see how good God is. God is so sure that his salvation and true, genuine, saved people will be saved and stay saved and bear fruits of salvation that he said, look, don't go pull up them tares. Don't go pull them false Christians up. Let them sit amongst them. Because if you go to try to ripping them out and pulling them out, you're going to hurt my true children. Jesus believed and understood that a true child of God can sit in the midst of these false, rooted in him and still bear fruit, still mature, still grow. I don't know about you, it's an amazing accomplishment to think that God's grace is so often that he can go find a lost sinner in the world, full of sin, take him out of the world, save him, put his life in him, put him back in the world amongst worldly people and keep him saved. That's what God does. He'll save you today. He'll change your life today. But guys, I want you to hear the end of this. I'm not here to scare you. I'm here to inform you that the end of the age is near. We're closer now than we've ever been. The world is fulfilling everything that he said we would with all of our education, with all of our wisdom and our worldly gadgets that's supposed to make life better. It's not getting better. Especially when you look at it on God's view. Because listen what he says. He says, the Son of Man, when he comes at the end of the age, the Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out his kingdom. They will gather out of his kingdom all things. Look at verse 41. When this thing is over, when Jesus comes back for the second coming, it's all going to end. There's going to be an end of this season and there's going to start a new season. The dispensation of the church age is going to move into the dispensation of the millennial age. And Jesus will literally sit on earth in Israel on the Temple Mount as king. And he will rule and reign for a thousand years or at least a time, whatever you want to believe. And friends, listen, when he comes back at the second coming, listen what he says. The Son of Man will send out his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all things that offend and all those things who practice lawlessness. You can't be a practicer of lawlessness and habitual, do whatever you want against God and offend him. And he will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. Wailing, that's emotional pain. You ever seen somebody wail? Woo-hoo! Man, it breaks my heart. I've seen them wail. And I wish I could help them. Their emotions are so distraught that they're wailing. But then he said also there's going to be gnashing of teeth. That's physical. Are you making this up? No, I'm reminding us, friend, the church ain't the end of the road. The church is what gets you on the road. And friends, listen to what he says. 
and I will cast them into the furnace of fire. There will be wailing and gnashing of teeth. That's what's going to happen to every tear, every false Christian, everybody who played the tear religion game. But listen what he says right here in verse 44. This is the good stuff. Verse 43, then the righteous will shine forth as the sun in the kingdom of their father. And know what he says? Let him who has an ear to hear, let him hear. Friends, I don't know about y'all, but not everyone who says they're a Christian is a Christian. Statistically, continually show us that 75% of Americans who are polled statistically say that they're a Christian. Do you believe that 75% of Americans are true sons of the kingdom, go into the kingdom and look at what America is settling for? Then you come into the church, and it's a little better, hopefully. But guys, listen, it boils down to this. Only you and Jesus know. Only you know. And you know what I've come to find? That there's nothing that's more important at the end of life than being able to say what Paul said, what he said. It's amazing how God works, Brother Wade. From what I've just been reading, you need to go read chapter 3 and chapter 4. You know what Paul said at the end of his life? He didn't say, I went to church and did the best I could. He didn't say, he didn't say, I just ran and I ran hard. No. He said, I fought the good fight. He didn't just fight. He fought a specific fight, the good fight against sin, against the devil, against the world. He says, I ran the race, which means he ran where God wanted him to run, in the direction God wanted him to run to. And then he says, and I kept the faith. He, he kept what God says is right and what God says is true. And you know what he says? Therefore, it is laid up for me. It is laid up for me, what? A crown of righteousness. And not only to me, but to everyone who loves his appearing and the coming of his kingdom. There's nothing better than to be at church and say, today, if it's today, come, Lord Jesus, come today, for as I'm ready, thanks to you. There's nothing worse to say, boy, if he does come, I hope it ain't today. I've been both. How about you? You know how you fix it today? You repent and you put faith in Jesus. You do both. 